Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Not So Grateful Dead podcast. Is your host, Grayson Decker, back at it again with another lovely Sunday episode. This is a special episode because guess what? It is episode 20. Who's proud of me? I'm proud of me. I'm going to give myself a little pat on the back because that's just wild and insane to me. I know 20 is not like the biggest number. There's so many podcasts out there that have like over 200 episodes, but 20 episodes to me, that's that's pretty crazy. I was terrified to even post episode one. <laughs> Still am terrified every single time I post an episode, but I love this so much. It is so fun to me. I love getting to use my degree, getting to study things that I find interesting and yeah, it's been so fun and I'm so thankful that you're here supporting me and I hope that you continue to be here because I enjoy you being here. <laughs> I'm so awkward, I'm sorry. Um, today's case, very brutal, but it is a very interesting, mentally intriguing case. He is the most, I don't know how to phrase it, but he is like the most fascinating serial killer when it comes to his psychology and that's why I chose him for episode 20 because I wanted to do something kind of what I find to be very interesting I don't know he's just the most interesting serial killer to me and so I I picked him I'm sorry I don't know why I strung that out and made it awkward but anyways yeah that's this case it is brutal I think I might have mentioned that already but it is very brutal so if you want to skip this one, I will not be mad at you at all. I love you and I will see you on the next one. I think that's about it. Oh, actually, no, it's not. You need to go listen to episode number one of Spooky Week. Spooky special. Not so gratefully. So excited. First episode comes out today with this one and then there's going to be seven more after that coming out every single day. So be prepared for that super fun. I had a blast recording those, researching those. Such fun topics, so different from what I do normally. There is a couple that are not that different, but they're different. Um, But yeah, I had a lot of fun and I hope that you really enjoy it. Uh, Please let me know if I did a good job, what I could change next year, next Halloween because obviously I'm always going to do something special for you special people for Halloween. I think that's about it. I'm sorry for dragging this out so long. I just wanted to say that I appreciate y'all, and I'm so excited to be here. Okay, now I'm going to stop talking. Let's get into the case. Edmund Emil Kemper III, better known as Ed, was born on December 18th, 1948 in Burbank, California to Clarnell Elizabeth Kemper and Edmund Emil Kemper II. Ed was the middle child of three. Ed Kemper had a very troubling childhood. His mother and father were extremely strict and there was absolutely no leeway in the household. What Clarnell did to Ed is just absolutely horrible. It was reported that she would keep Ed locked up in her basement, and she did this because she was worried that Ed would, trigger warning, sexually assault his sisters. 
I just can't even imagine what that would do to somebody mentally. The accusations alone are horrible, but to go as far as locking him away in the basement secluded from the rest of his family is just so terrible and so traumatizing. She also reportedly refused to coddle Ed or give him any slack because she was afraid it would, quote, turn him gay. Even Ed's father told him that, quote, suicide missions in wartime and later atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to living with Clarnell, which that speaks volumes, I feel like, about her character. Are you kidding me? That is insane. Because of these terrible conditions and ideals being put onto young, impressionable Ed, he began having extremely dark fantasies. It was at this time in Ed's life that he began decapitating his sister's dolls. And not only this, but Ed described the feeling when he would do this as a sexual thrill, stating, you hear that little pop and pull their heads off and hold them up by the hair, ripping their heads off, their body sitting there. That'd get me off. <clears throat> Sorry, didn't mean to add that in there. It's just so disturbing to me. It gives me a very gross feeling and I... I just don't like it. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Ed would also force his sisters into these odd and eerie games, some of them being games of like the electric chair or the gas chamber, and he would basically make his sisters pretend to walk him to his death, either to the gas chamber or the electric chair, which that is just some fucked up behavior at a young age, which I feel is also just a very common theme with all of these incredibly disturbing serial killers. And most of the time, not always, it seems that their home life is one where these disturbing behaviors that are showing at a young age just go unnoticed or their home life even maybe fuels these killer tendencies. So like in this situation, Ed obviously has a shitty home life. He is treated like absolute shit by his mom, verbally abused by her, all of these things. And she obviously just doesn't give a shit about him because she locks him in the basement. And so how could she see these signs? How could she pay attention to that? And then you look at like Jeffrey Dahmer, for, say, for instance, sorry, he was showing all of these signs with killing animals and doing all the things that he did with his dad and his dad fueled those killer tendencies by helping him learn those things and basically teaching him about like the chemistry of the chemicals that he would use like all sorts of stuff it's just it's very very interesting the psychology behind these people these terrible heinous people. When Ed was in the second grade, he stalked his teacher and his sister Susan was messing around with him one day, basically talking about Ed kissing his teacher. And this very young Ed looked at his sister with a cold expression and he said, if I kiss her, I'd have to kill her first. Which, are you fucking kidding me? How is this behavior just going so unnoticed? Ed clearly needed help, even at just a young age of being in the second grade. It's insane. Insane. In 1957, Ed's parents separated and his father left the family behind, 
leaving Ed with his mother. The two of them moved to Montana, and like we discussed previously, this is a very pivotal point in his life, and also in Ed's hatred for his mother. The way she would treat Ed was absolutely horrendous, and it most certainly affected him in a terrible, terrible way. When Ed was just 10 years old, he sadly killed both of the family cats, which just makes me so fucking sad. Not only do I love cats, but just any harm against animals really just fucks me up. I can't, I can't stand that. I can't, that's where I draw the line. Don't fuck with animals. Ah. I can't do it. One of these cats was actually buried alive by Ed, and he later dug this cat up and decapitated it. So fucking sad. Throughout the next four years, Ed put up with extreme verbal abuse and being locked in his mother's basement. When Ed turned 14, he was in short terms tired of being treated like shit, so he ran away. Ed ran away to his to his father's home, sorry, to try and seek a better living situation. However, once Ed arrived at his father's home, he was turned away because his father had already remarried, and I guess he just really didn't want to reopen that chapter. Once again, he just had a very, very shitty family life. Ed's father sends him to live with his paternal grandparents, and Ed did not like the situation at all. To him, it did not seem any better than living with his mother. Ed described his grandmother as emasculating and speaks about how she felt as though she had more balls than any man. This really did not sit well with Ed. I mean, let's just revisit the relationship he had with his mother. His mother was extremely degrading. She was rigid. She was cold and emasculating constantly to him. Because of this, Ed gained this hatred for women, which is, in a very fucked up way, it is understandable. The one woman who is supposed to care for him and love him and, you know, be a mom just did the exact opposite of that. And not only this, but he was just a child. His brain was very impressionable. So genuinely, his hatred for women and how his grandmother treated him as well, really just, it does make sense. Ed also was not the biggest fan of his grandfather. He just described him as senile. On August 27th, 1964, Ed Kemper and his grandmother got into an explosive argument. This escalated and Ed, at just 15 years old, shot and killed his grandmother. He shot her with a 22 caliber rifle in the head. Ed, when explaining this heinous act to authorities, stated that he felt bad for his grandfather and didn't want him to be sad without his wife. So as his grandfather was walking up to the home, he shot and killed him as well. And I also believe that he didn't even want his grandfather to see what he had done, which is why he killed him before he actually entered the home. At just 15 years old, Ed had killed two people just out of sheer anger, which is insane, and it should have never gotten to this point when there were so many signs early on. After Ed killed both of his grandparents, he immediately called his mother and confessed to her about what he had just done. 
Ed was then admitted to the Atascadero State Hospital, where he was placed in the criminally insane unit. Here, doctors carried out tests to see how sane Ed Kemper really was, and they reported that Ed showed, quote, no flight of ideas, no interference with thought, no expression of delusions or hallucinations. So really, it did not seem like there was anything really like wrong with him mentally. And not only this, but after taking an IQ test, doctors found that Ed was extremely smart. His first IQ exam showed a score of 136, and later he would score 145, which is an insanely high IQ. Like, superior level, very, 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 very smart. Later, Ed would be diagnosed with a personality trait disturbance, and he was found to be of the passive-aggressive types. Atascadero State Hospital was, in all honesty, a terrible place for Ed Kemper to be treated. They were extremely understaffed, and they just did not have the means to care for so many people. There was roughly 1,600 inmates to 10 staff members, which, as one can imagine, would be ridiculously hard. Because of this understaffing issue and Ed's sheer intelligence, Ed became a trusted helper within the facility. He was actually trained to administer psychiatric exams on other inmates, which is just absolutely wild to me. This man, who we know turns out to be an absolutely terrifying person, and who also just killed his grandparents brutally because he was pissed off at them, is now administering these tests about other inmates' mental well-being and, like, scoring them. That's just some wild-ass shit. Wild-ass shit. Even worse, during this time, Ed had availability to all of the records on sexual offenders. He quite literally could sit there and read what all of these other really bad people were doing and why they were in the institution. And to take it one step further, Ed could also learn and understand how these tests worked, how he needed to act, what to say, and just genuinely how to manipulate the shit out of the psychiatrist at the institution. After being there for just five years, learning all about sexual offenders, how to carry out those crimes, how to manipulate his psychiatrist, and how the tests work, Ed was able to tell his psychiatrist what they wanted to hear to be released. On December 18th, 1969, Ed Kemper's 21st birthday, he is released from the Atascadero State Hospital and is sent home to live with his mother in Aptos, California. Just another mistake, if you ask me, but I digress. As we know, in his earlier life with her, it was just not an ideal situation. And after he has gained all of his knowledge about sexual offenders, and he's been locked up for really like the most important years of his adolescence, and right before he was locked up, he straight up fucking murdered his grandparents. It just did not seem very smart to place him there, and the psychiatrist at the institution actually said that as well but that is where he went. While living with his mother at the beginning, Ed really seemed to try his hardest to just fit into society 
And the last five years of his life had been spent locked up and he really just hadn't been able to be a sociable young adult like everyone else. He had just turned 21 and so he like truly just spent those formative years locked up in a mental institution and just really didn't get good positive things from that place either. So he was really trying his hardest to fit in. Ed began attending community college and this was actually part of his parole requirements. First, Ed actually attempted to become a state trooper, but he was actually denied this position because of the sheer size of Ed Kemper. He was six foot nine and nearly 300 pounds. So he was fucking scary and a very, 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 very powerful man. After being denied, Ed began to work at the Department of Transportation where he spent his days driving all around California. It was during this job that Ed began realizing the large number of women who hitchhiked in the area and he told authorities that he would pick up women just to talk and try and form friendships with them. And he states that he actually picked up over 100 women during this time without anything negative happening, anything terrible happening to these women. He just simply gave them a ride and talked to them. This, however, did not last long. On May 7th, 1972, Ed Kemper picked up two 18-year-old students from Fresno State. These students were Mary Ann Pesky and Anita Luchessa. Ed picked these women up near Berkeley, California. The two women were attempting to hitchhike to Stanford University. Ed Kemper instead took the women to a secluded area that was wooded, and this is where he stopped the car and told Anita Luchessa to get into the trunk. While she was in the trunk, Ed brutally stabbed and choked Mary Ann, and Anita, being in the trunk of this car, heard the fight that had ensued between Ed and Mary, so when he opened the trunk of the car, she knew she had to fight. Anita Luchessa fought tirelessly to get away from Ed, but an Ed- whoa, inevitably succumbed to the sheer terror that was Ed Kemper. He stabbed Anita repeatedly. After Ed murdered both of the women, he put both of their deceased bodies into the trunk of his car. While he was on his way home, he was quite literally pulled over for a broken taillight. A police officer stopped him right after he had killed these two women, had them in the car, and he still drove home and was not caught. It's just insane. It's he's right there. They're always right in the palm of authorities' hands. That's another thing. It's like they want to be right there under their noses, but not quite in their custody. You know what I'm saying? But I digress. <laughs> it was a routine traffic stop, and Ed was actually, you know, known to have been quite personable, so it was easy for him to not really act suspicious. And Specifically, he was super personable with men because obviously he has a hatred towards women, but he was always really, really nice and kind to men specifically. So that is also very interesting. After Ed got out of getting caught, he took the bodies into his home where he then, trigger warning, sadly raped the deceased women. 
He then dismembered the bodies and put these dismembered parts into plastic bags, hiding them in a ravine near Loma Prieta Mountain. On September 14, 1972, Ed Kemper picked up Aikoku, who was on her way to dance class when she missed her bus. She was a passionate and talented dancer, and she really just didn't want to be late to class, so she reluctantly hitchhiked. Ed then brutally attacked Aikoku. He strangled her until she was unconscious, and then trigger warning, he did rape her, and then he sadly killed her. Just such a fucking cold-ass man, and just to think about how terrifying it would be to fight him, because he's just so physically, like, he is very scary and very intimidating. He's so tall, so large, like, just physically, he is so much stronger than me. I know he would be, and that just... It's, it's so scary to just even think about that. Though he went back into his bad home life with his mother and had killed three more individuals by this point, on November 29th, 1972, Ed Kemper demonstrated to his psychiatrist again that he was in fact rehabilitated. After this, all of those juvenile records were permanently expunged from his criminal record. Here's what the report said. If I were to see this patient without having any history available or getting any history from him, I would think that we were dealing with a very well-adjusted young man who had initiative, intelligence, and who was free of any psychiatric illnesses. It's my opinion that he has made a very excellent response to the years of treatment and rehabilitation, and I would see no psychiatric reason to consider him to be of any danger to himself or to any member of society. And since it may allow him more freedom as an adult to develop his potential, I would consider it reasonable to have a permanent expungement of his juvenile records. And that just makes me fucking sick that they did that after he had literally killed three people. Three people before that. That nice, lovely message about him. It's just, it's sickening. Sickening. Around the time Ed began killing again, he also began attending a local bar, the jury room. This bar is where a lot of the law enforcement officers would frequent after work. During this time, he began getting close with the local law enforcement, and many of them described Ed as a gentle giant. He became friends with quite a few of them and was extremely friendly. It was like the other side of Ed came through around these men, and they even had a nickname for him, Big Ed. In 1973, Ed moved back in with his mother, and things were not going good at all. Their fights had seemed to get even worse than before. Ed, when talking to authorities about their relationship and arguments, stated that, My mother and I started right in on horrendous battles, just horrible battles, violent and vicious. I've never been in such a vicious verbal battle with anyone. I would go to fist with a man, but this was my mother, and I couldn't stand the thought of my mother and I doing these things. She insisted on it, and just over stupid things. I remember one roof razor was over whether I should have my teeth cleaned. During this time as well, Ed picked up and murdered three more college individuals, picking them up in the Santa Cruz area. 
He would do the same sort of thing that he did in the first three murders, killing the women before trigger warning, raping them, and dismembering their bodies. One of these victims' decapitated head was buried in his mother's backyard, and he speaks on how he strategically placed the head in the ground where her face would be pointed up towards the house so that she would always look up on him. On April 20th, 1973, Ed Kemper waited in his room at his mother's home until she fell asleep. He sat there smoking cigarettes to pass the time. Once his mother is asleep, Ed goes into her room with a claw hammer and a knife. He then bludgeons his mother to death with the hammer before decapitating her. Trigger warning, this just gets extremely brutal and disturbing, so just a heads up. Ed then removes his mother's tongue and her vocal cords and attempts to put them down the garbage disposal, but is unsuccessful in this. And after he failed, he then, trigger warning again, because it's, it's disgusting, he raped his mother's decapitated head. This is absolutely just fucking sickening. Quite literally gives me like goosebumps and not at all in the good way. Just, ew. Gives me just very bad vibes. He also spent a good amount of time screaming at his mother's head. And he did all of this because of the terrible verbal abuse that he had suffered from his mother throughout his entire life. Ed Kemper then invited his mother's best friend over to the home. This best friend was Sally Hallett, and Ed Kemper proceeded to then kill Sally as well. After this, Ed stole Sally's car and fled the scene. He drove for 28 hours straight before making it to Colorado. Ed had not yet seen the murders on the news, so he decided to call the police from a phone booth in Pueblo, Colorado. This is when Ed Kemper confessed everything to the police, that he had killed his mother and her best friend, and not only that, but he was the co-ed killer. This was shocking to the police. How could Big Ed, who they knew and quite honestly liked, be this heinous serial killer. But that is something you will have to find out on Wednesday when I release part two of this case because I am a bitch like that. I'm sorry. It's just I need a break when talking about how terrible he is and a lot more happens. So just stay tuned. But thank you for listening to part one. All right, you guys, so that brings our Sunday episode to a close. I hope you enjoyed it. I know that it is so terrible, so disturbing, just so fucked up, but just also at the same time, very fascinating. He's so smart. It's just insane, just very intelligent. But as you can see, his history definitely played a very large role in making him the person that he was. And that to me just is honestly very sad. But I'm going to stop talking about it because we'll get more into it later. I think the only thing that I want to remind you about is to go and enter that drawing for the Spooky Basket, Instagram, Facebook. Go look at the post where I talk about it's the announcement for this week 
like this week's episodes. It's orange, has a little skeleton guy on it. It says like it's spooky season. The instructions are in that post specifically. So go look at that one and follow those instructions and you'll be entered to win a spooky basket that I picked out all by myself with love. But yeah, I'm going to tell you my socials and then I'll let you get out of here and I'm going to go to bed because it is currently 3.44 (laughs) a.m. Why am I awake? I don't know. So I have an email, thenotsograteful-dead-pod at gmail.com. I have a website, thenotsograteful-dead.podbean.com. I have an Instagram, thenotsograteful-dead underscore podcast. I have a TikTok, thenotsograteful-dead-pod. And a Facebook, thenotsograteful-dead-podcast with Grayson Decker. All right, you guys. Have a lovely week. Have a lovely spooky week listening to all those fun spooky episodes. And let me know what you think. I, I'm just so excited to share them all with you. It's going to be fun. All right. Have a good day. Have a good week. I'll see you on Wednesday for part two. Bye-bye. <laughs>